Hi, everyone. Just a few notes on the podcast for this evening. We have a lot of great stuff lined up for you. As always, we try to keep our case review discussion as spoiler-free as possible, but we cannot guarantee that there won't be any book spoilers, so please keep that in mind. And as always, our debrief interviews are not guaranteed to be spoiler-free. Tonight, we have an interview with Juliet Landau, who plays Rita Tedesco on Bosch. So please stay tuned at the end of the discussion to enjoy that interview with Juliet. Thanks, guys. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Everybody Counts podcast. We've got some special guests on the podcast tonight. We have a guest co-host, Anne, who has joined us before on the book club episode we did with Mitzi Roberts. So welcome back, Anne. Thanks for having me, Tracy. All right. And then we have the writer of the episode that we're going to talk about tonight, Shaz Bennett. Welcome, Shaz. (laughs) Thanks so much. So the episode we're going to discuss, we're going to get right into our case review, is The Space Between the Stars. It's episode 506 from Bosch, uh, season five. Now, right out of the gate, Shaz, we do have a question, because you have the writing credit for this episode, and we know we've heard about the very collaborative process of writing for Bosch. So what does that mean to, to have the writing credit for an episode? (laughs) <laughs> well, for me, it means everything. <laughs> Just sure. only because I, I mean, I say that because I started as a fan of the show first. And then, um, oh. you know, I came on to the show, um, my friend Elle Johnson, who was one of the executive producers, um, yeah. brought me over and I started as okay. a script uh, coordinator and then kind of moved my way up. And um, and I'm a huge fan of Michael Connelly and Eric Overmeyer mm-hmm. and Dan Pine and but um, so just getting a writing credit on a show like this is always um, a huge, like, success story for me. Um, yeah. But, but in general, the way, you know, television works is that, um, you know, you're, you're breaking all the stories. I mean, we have, obviously, Michael Connelly's books to start from, and then we break all the stories in the room together, and they're kind of, like, updating certain things or things that are very internal in the book, trying to, like, dramatize them, make them more accessible mm-hmm. for a television audience and that. And then and then we're kind of assigned Eric and Eric Overmeyer's the showrunner, and Dan Pine, they'll say, okay, you're writing this episode, you're writing this episode, and then we oh. kind of go off and break it down. And and that that's pretty general for television. Um, okay. You know, it's just, it's, it, you know, so it's like, it is a super, super collaborative art form television. I mm-hmm. also direct, and so it's a, it's such a, uh, you know, I love television because it's so, you don't have to come up with every idea on your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is a lot harder when you're just sitting in front of your computer alone. So, so that part, but then you still have to sit in front of your computer and come up with the words and hopefully do as good a job as, your showrunners and Michael Connolly and, you know, all of that. So it's a bit mm-hmm. of pressure. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, it, it sounds like a really big job to me <laughs> and you do it well. I, I don't, it seems like so many pieces to hold together. So let's get into some of those pieces because as usual, 
this episode of Bosch is just packed with so many storylines. Yeah. Some we pick up from past episodes. We might not hear about one storyline for an episode, but then it comes back up. It's it's a a huge, fascinating puzzle. Um, we're trying to keep up with all the pieces. So we start out with the Rita and Preston Borders reunion there at the prison, and that I, I, I'm very curious how you wrote, how much detail do you give the actors as, you know, in addition to their lines and how they're responding? Because we hear what Rita is saying. She's talking to Preston about her encounter with, quote, the biker, you know, who we know as Hector and and what's going on. But she's also has this flirtation going on with him. And he's just not interested in that at all. He's stressed worried about what she may have slipped up on. But I was just amazed at sort of, I would say transformation, because it's very different from the way we see her when she's talking to Hector. It, it's not, I mean, and I, of course, attribute that to her acting. But I also wonder what, as a writer, what you tell her in order to, to play that sort of, you know, seductive type, you know, role. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's funny because um, you know, the, this this episode was directed by Nima Barnett, who's a great uh-huh. director. So you know, she's the one mainly uh, talking to the actors. But um, Juliet, she's such a great actress, and it's so fun to yeah. like see her transform. And um, you know, a lot of these stories, I think you've had um, Tim and Mitzi are. Um, mm-hmm police uh, detectives on before yeah you know they 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 come in the room they tell us stories and um, okay you know we just kind of you know that that was a story that was sort of loosely based on stuff that happens oh. in those rooms <laughs> but okay, yeah. I mean those mm-hmm. those specific details mm-hmm. but the main part right. of that scene is um you know figuring out that Bonner might be on to them and who mm-hmm. is he and what's his background and, and that their plan is going south. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it, you know, like, like I said, it's, it's, we always talk about it's a 10 hour movie, you know, so all yeah, of those yeah. little mm-hmm. clues that's going to pay off in episode nine, you know, so why yeah. you know, yeah. sometimes you're just setting up something that's going to pay sure. off later. That's right. Did you have anything you wanted to say about that scene, Anne? Um, just that, Rita, Rita has a very dark side apparently, um, mm-hmm. because I don't think that uh, you you have a 16 year relationship with someone who is a murderer um, mm-hmm. without having some darkness in you that you know, and I and I think we see a little bit of that in the in the flirtation and and whatnot. Yeah. It was really kind of. Made my skin crawl just a little. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Should we yeah. It's a, it's a specific type of person that decides uh-huh. to marry a serial killer. Sure. And we talked to her. She, she's actually going to be um, on the, on the her interview will be on the podcast this week. And I talked to her about all the research that she did for the part and, and real stories of this kind of thing. You know, just like you were talking about Chaz. So. Um, yeah, it was just, it really, we had seen her, you know, a few times so far in the episode, you know, with her hair pulled back and just sort of 
um, almost mousy, you know, kind of. And then it was just like, whoa, you know, it, it, yeah. it, you know, it was so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it played out. It was fun out. to see Juliet bring that to life. And yeah. that was one yeah. of the, 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 the court stenographer was just kind of interesting. That was something that Tim and Mickey mm-hmm. talked about is that okay. they're the people that are in contact with serial killers the longest <laughs> all the yeah, time during yeah, their yeah. trials you know <laughs> right they know them bizarre. better yeah than than than, than most <laughs> well we do see Hector doing a lot of surveillance in this episode he's not uh trying to ask Rita for money in this episode he's, he's behind the scenes watching and he also finds out about uh Terry Spencer's financial trouble mm-hmm. and um, the uh, the courier and that we think uh, had to do with the transfer of, of the DNA. I just, I would like to point out that I don't know if it was anyone's decision, but I think Ryan Hurst looks very handsome in his glasses. When he put the glasses on in this episode when he was doing the photos and everything, I thought that was a good choice. I don't know if he wears glasses <laughs> in real life, but so he, great. he wore them well. <laughs> he wore them well. Um, it's hard to look, it's hard to make Ryan Hurst look bad no matter what. But yeah, I agree. That's true. <laughs> that's true. But uh, yeah, he looked. Uh, you know, he, I mean, he, he he looked legit. You know, doing that surveillance. You know, with the camera and you know the, the expressions on his face and stuff. It was it was really engaging. You wanted to to find out what he was finding out. So some of the big stuff that uh, he uncovers, of course, is he finds Rita talking to who we find out is Kathy who we saw in um, a prior episode in the courthouse when Bosch confronts, confronts Cronin. And she's like, oh, I'll go get the um, security or whatever. And uh, we find out that she was his, was Cronin, Lance Cronin's mistress and now his wife. And so she's tied into all this as well, the, uh, the group. We're, we're finding out more of the characters involved in this scheme. Anything you wanted to tell us about all this surveillance, these scenes? Um, (laughs) yeah surveillance is hard you know we talked a lot about the french connection and just okay uh, trying to make that feel like you're following and uh but you know there's a lot of story beats that happen in those surveillance shots so Mm -hmm. there's you know there's this surveillance of kathy and rita but then there's a surveillance of um Jerry Edgar and Bosch and you know there was right, a, right. a lot of surveillance so. <laughs> but I, I, I think they could do it was fun to like shoot because it's ultimately um you're just trying to that is a lot of cop work is a, it's a lot of waiting and watching mm-hmm. and yeah to figure out it's not it, you know a lot of shows it's just like oh you watch one second and when you talk to Tim and Mitzi you know it's a it's weeks and weeks and sometimes years and years sure. so yeah yeah, I think you guys write that and, and, and play that out really well because, you know, it makes the, the the viewers longing for an update on those fingerprints or something. But, you know, we know mm-hmm. we're not going to get them right away. That's just not how it how it works. But it, it's another way that keeps us totally engaged, you know, in the story as well. I, I did like how I, I don't know how this came about because I don't recall it. And, and everything obviously doesn't match the books, but I do remember – um, I don't. I don't know if it was Harry in the book um, or who made the call uh, impersonating Terry Spencer and that draws out Cronin saying, you know, I'm not your point of contact. You know, kind of getting that confirmation. I can't remember if it was Harry in the yeah, book. Yeah, no, but that's exactly straight from the book. So okay, like, okay, mm-hmm. that's Michael. That's all Michael. 
<laughs> okay. Well, I didn't. It, what really struck me as well was it, it was funny, but but very clever too. Is when he pulls out the flip phone and she says, "Oh, I didn't know you were like that old school." <laughs> and I thought that that was really funny. And he's like, "Oh, it's not mine. It belongs to a vet named Riley." Which you know, it really did. You know, it's just he he played that so well, and it made so much sense. He could he could say, you know, this other persona, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I love I love the technology jabs that that happen yeah. once in a while. <laughs> With yeah, it's fun. fun. It's it's uh, you know, and there's two storylines going, so it's sort of a a way to dip back into the uh-huh. Don Riley version too. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, Anne, what did you think about this scene with uh, Christina Henry, and she goes to see Bob in the new at the Newton Division? Well, you know, she. If it was, if it hadn't been obvious before how uh-huh. she is out for for Bosch's head, <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. um, I think that scene really really nailed it. Sure. And you know, here's this guy who who would probably like to take her out. Yeah. Um, who's trying to be diplomatic with her and suggest that well, yes, maybe maybe Bosch didn't have her back, but that doesn't mean that he did this. Right, and she's Mm -hmm. so convinced. She so wants that to to be true. And when he, I think he says something like, "You know, wouldn't that be enough?" Mm -hmm. If it turns out that the department made a mistake, and she, she's Mm -hmm. like, "No, you know, that's that won't be enough for me." Yeah, and I specifically made a note that she uses the word payback. You know, which Mm -hmm. is you know very obvious. To, to me, anyway, I interpreted that as, you know, where she's coming from. It very much seems like a, a vendetta. And I don't know if it was written this way. Maybe you can shed some light, Chaz. But, um, you know, I, I tried to figure out, is she trying to use her sort of feminine wiles to to get some information from Bob? I mean, obviously he has a little bit, bit of maybe a crush on her or something. But it, it just seemed like another nod to this whole situation feeling very personal to her rather than strictly about the evidence and about the investigation. Um, mm. Am I reaching there? Or? No, no. I, I think it's all, I mean, that's what's fun about this show is that it's all character-based, all these investigative moments, and that's something mm-hmm. we talk about in the room a lot. And I just, I love that actor, Danny Gonzalez, who plays uh, Torres. Mm-hmm. He's he just, you know, but in other seasons, he might have been with, other people, you know, <laughs> I uh-huh, think he's yeah, willing yeah. to kind of, you know, it's kind of fun <laughs> listening to Tim and Mitzi talk about just all the interpersonal, uh, oh, okay. you know, they're just sure. folks in the, <laughs> everybody's yeah. got to work with people, you know, and I, right, I didn't right. see it necessarily that she was manipulating him in any way. I just think she, she trusts him and she loves okay, him like a brother. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she, has, she knows that clear. he's going to help her get into that place, you know, because yeah, he, you know, because we try and be really specific and clear about and be mm-hmm. realistic to um, policy, and so she, as a CIU investigator, wouldn't have access to those old files. Oh, okay, okay. She needs so. to, you know, you get a friend to help her, and sure. I just, it's I just love that. Those mm-hmm. actors are so fun. <laughs> yeah, but it's cool. tough, you know. It's uh, it's all tough being a lady cop too and it was fun to yeah. play some of that you know what yeah. she's had to go through i don't think bosh um you know i don't think he she might have taken it personal but i don't think he 
did anything wrong. I just think he hit him back or maybe or not. We don't even really go. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. It's still it's still kind of vague, but somehow he didn't seem to stand up for her um, in a in a, some type of a well, I, work situation. I, I think it it kind of goes to that whole situation where she thought that her personal relationship with Bosch was going to help her career. Um, and it didn't work out that way. And okay. that's because Bosch is, he's just such a professional in terms of the work, you know, mm-hmm. that he completely separates, um, you know, if you, I mean, mm-hmm. you go back a few seasons, like to the, um, uh, to his, I guess it was the first, I guess it was. Yeah. Yeah. With Brasher. Mm-hmm. With Brasher and yeah. how, you know, she, again, this is a case of, she thought her personal relationship with him was going to save her um, mm-hmm. from from disciplinary action, and you know he just wasn't having it. Yeah. So, yeah. His his that's, line is that's Bosch. Yeah. His his yeah, line is not his, always where everyone else's is, but right. he does have a line. It might be a little further out or you know a different place, but he does have a a line that he's not going to cross. So it's kind yeah. of a wiggle definitely line a little bit. But <laughs> there's definitely still it. a line there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. Well then Crate and Barrel make a, a big discovery. They're uh, you know, working in caps and I think Crate first identifies something suspicious looking and, and shows it to Barrel, which I gotta say up front, one thing I liked about this, not not only did they uncover something important and they, you know, they're doing a good job. It kind of, I feel like it kind of brought them back together after that argument. Mm-hmm. And that made right. me feel better because I was like, these guys need to be a team. Yeah. You know, they rib each other and all that. But I was like, I don't want to see them, you know. And it's kind of like, what do you mean you're breaking in conflict. the band? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you can't um, break yeah. up Kate and Barrel. <laughs> no, no, I just, yeah, no. It, uh, that, that, it's interesting how uncomfortable that made me when they when they argued a couple of episodes <laughs> ago when everything kind of came to a head. So they yeah they come together and see these stats that look suspicious. You know everything is sort of downgraded with language that's that's less severe. And I guess that's called juking the stats. Did you were you familiar with this term, Shaz? <laughs> did you get um, some education you know, on that? I, I think that might have been a. a, a Eric Overmeyer uh, embellishment, okay. but I but I love that phrase. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that you know we talk, you know, again, like I say, we talk to our um, advisors. We try and be realistic, and there was a, a, a there was a, a you know that's happened before where it's important mm-hmm. to keep the stats low, and um, and then of course we're writers, so <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I love I I'm a I'm a you know like I said I was a fan first, and I. I'm yeah. a huge fan of old film noirs, and I love that thing. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's very colorful, and yeah. I, I don't I, think I, I wrote like that it. one, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll use it. Um, so, yeah, they tell Billets about it. She's not quite sure what to make of it. She doesn't want to make a rash decision, but it obviously is concerning to her, especially since some of that alteration, I guess, was done while she was, interim captain so um so yeah it's it's troubling 
to her, but uh, we don't really know at this point in this episode uh, where things are going to go with it. But we do see Harry have a discussion with Chief Irving about the, the missing photo. And one thing I thought was so intriguing about this scene is they kind of talked in hypotheticals. It was, but it was almost like Bosch was like get almost getting a confirmation maybe about what did happen, but he was speaking very much in hypotheticals. For instance, if someone had looked through that backpack when he was detained, that, you know, evidence would not be admissible. So it, you know, it's informing the viewer um, and it's, you know, it's, they're communicating, but it's almost like in code or something. What do you think, Anne, <laughs> about that? Yeah, I, and and I, you know, as you see that that scene where you know where Harry's he's looking at the before and afters and he's laying them all out. And he's going through mm-hmm. the envelope. And he realizes that there's a photo missing, and he and he and you can almost see you know the wheels are turning in his head, and he's realizing. Yeah the importance of that particular photo being missing. And as he sits and talks with Irving, um, I'm starting to get the feeling that he's, he's starting to wonder if somehow he hasn't been used. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, because he was, he was the one who found the pendant hanging on the, on the wall and right that was that was the thing that you know that was the the connection with porters to mm-hmm. the murdered woman and you know Bosch tells you over and over again he he doesn't plant evidence he doesn't do right. that kind of thing yeah and so you can sort of see and his his brain is clicking away there and I think he's starting to wonder if somebody hasn't you know used him Mm-hmm. Um, some way, and that, and and his whole career is on the line because of this situation. Sure, yeah, mm-hmm. so it's past and future, yeah. Yeah. So, Shaz, yeah, so, what what do you think about what we thought about that scene? <laughs> no, I think that's exactly right. It was it's it's so fun to get um, uh, Titus and Lance, you know, together because they're. They're both just such incredible actors, but mm-hmm. I've learned so much from Eric and Dan, the showrunners. And it's like sometimes the 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 less you write and let them uh-huh. bring those looks. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, all of that, you know. And yet, you know, Irving, um, whatever he may or may not have done was um mm-hmm. in the cause of keeping a serial killer in custody right you know? right like, yeah so it's a it's a you know you talk about that line and we talk about it in the room all the time where it's like mm-hmm. we're playing the gray and yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean yeah. that that scene is one of my all-time favorite scenes because it's just the two of them together they're saying it all without saying it. It's exactly, exactly. It's like <laughs> right. everything else fades away, and you just it's just the two of them. You you don't need anything else, but that you know there are two faces, and yeah, it's it's really it's 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 very effective, and it's that thing that really gets to the viewer. Like, oh, I don't want you know Irving to have you know broken protocol and crossed the line, you know, but, oh, but I'm glad they got borders. You know, it's just, you just feel these tugs and think how in the world would I ever, you know, face these impossible situations, you know? So it's uh, 
very, very compelling. Um, so we also, uh, we have a, a scene which I uh, refer to as Stinky Harry, because I guess he's been outside <laughs> getting sweaty. Is, is, is that, did I read that right? Has he been trying? To, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay, he's, literally. He's yeah. going undercover, so he yeah. figured mm-hmm. I'll go for a run. Get all sweaty. Well, he can't. They don't want him to smell like somebody who showers every day, you know. Oh, exactly. exactly. No, no. And, and I, I understood the the purpose of it. I was just I was just trying to make sure I understood correctly that he literally went out and did get sweaty. You know, he didn't. You know, the, the, yeah. Um, for that, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he's he's a method actor. He yes. wanted to make sure that he's <laughs> playing a met a, a, a opioid act a addict. Yep. <laughs> Well, it was uh, definitely effective because uh, Maddie uh, said he, you know, he definitely smelled uh, for the job, for the undercover job, and uh, of course we have that those those very poignant words in that scene where she tells Bosch that he's the only one she has left, and he says he's acutely aware, and I love mm-hmm. that language that he's acutely aware because it is just so poignant and and. Uh, emotional, you know, they, it, it's just so clear and that they only have each other. Um, yeah. So it, I just thought that was great language. Um, did y'all have a lot of discussion about that scene and how they would say those words or? Um, you know, it, it, I wouldn't say we had a lot of discussion about it other than mm-hmm. just that, you know, that season where, um, when Eleanor dies and yeah. Titus walks away, is just like inab- mm-hmm. you know, just burned into our minds. So um, oh yeah, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it feel it felt very real and and yet yeah. there's cops and you know you have to there's a there there boshes so yeah again I mean it- you know I this is where I learned so much from Eric where he just can take a Theme and just like mm-hmm. distill it down to the core, and it's it's, it's beautiful, you know. It's like, yeah, the, that that is what that scene is about. It's like I'm going off, and be careful. Oh. Titus is such an incredible actor. He can. They're both they're both so great. They play all the layers. Um, you you barely have to give them words. They just are gonna yeah. give each other those in a look. <laughs> yep. And I can't I, I imagine that, like doing that as a, a cop's daughter and saying, sure, oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I think that that's something that that this show does so so well and and I think that, you know, as somebody who was a reader of Michael Connolly's books long before um this ever mm-hmm. came to screen, I I just they just do such a good job of sort of trusting and respecting the viewer to to get it from look yeah. from just from little quiet spaces in, mm-hmm. in between the more action that's going on and I the whole thing with Harry and Maddie it just to me it's just so so sad because they are mm-hmm. all that that each other has yeah. and yeah. they're struggling so hard to to stay connected and be connected through all of this grief that they're both feeling and it just gets me every time yeah they're so good oh my gosh both those actors are so amazing <laughs> just the the pauses that after they they say those words and i think there's sort of a brief pause and it just brings up all that emotion 
from the loss of Eleanor again. It just like that kind of fills the space of them not talking. Mm-hmm. We're we're all totally. aware of how painful, you know, that was. And uh, yeah, it, did, it didn't take many words, but it, it just really brought that that back to us all. Yeah. So yeah, well done. It's fun. Our, it's our fun. Moms. Oh, thanks. Well, I I I I barely you know that's the thing that's so great about writing on this show is you you really have to just put a few things on the paper and the actors mm-hmm. and the directors are going to bring it and and then Eric and Dan will make it better. <laughs> <laughs> I found this, this next scene interesting where the chief talks to Captain Sarah McCurdy and we saw her last season giving him social media intel about Desiree Zeely and now she's here pulling clips and video about a prior interaction between Officer Robson and Vasquez, who he shot and killed um, mm-hmm. that night. And, they're, of course, they're trying to figure out was everything done properly or not. Anne has a really good question that I think kind of relates to this level of detail that you guys keep up with, bringing characters back from prior seasons and just keeping the threads. Did you want to ask that question, Anne? Um, and I've said this you know, that that I sometimes can't believe that it's still only 10 episodes and yet there's so much going mm-hmm. on. And, you know, even in, and just in this one episode, you know, all these different threads and it's, it's moving, it's moving, but it, it doesn't feel like it's moving as fast as it is. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but it, no, it, it, it's hard. It's fun and hard to write that too, because you want to make sure that folks are still tuning in, but you also want to extend it all the way to ten hours. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I think that's uh, again. I have to give just credit to the other writers and Eric Overmeyer and Michael Connolly, where there's so much, um, you know, content to all of it. You know, you read any of Michael's books, and there's, mm-hmm. you know. He goes through all of well, the politics it, of the police and all of the right. yeah. DA, and it's <laughs> so layered. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it, yeah. but in many ways, I think that the that the show it picks up some of the literary feel of Michael's books because Michael doesn't just carry one story through continuously. You know, mm-hmm. he's right. cutting in and out, in and out, in and out. And and I think, you know, the show does that really well. Um, and so you're, you really are kind of on the edge of your seat. Like, wait, what? Now, what? Oh, now we're on something else. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and like, seeing and, that's, little... and that's what I love about the books, you know, is that there's, uh-huh. uh, you know, it's that office politics and then there's, you know, cases that take a year and there's cases that wrap up quick mm-hmm. and there's cases that take right. like, you know, you know, it's, it's like the timeline. life of a police officer it feels like that, you know. And then, mm-hmm. right, you know, when you're talking about the actress that plays Sarah McCurdy and, you know, uh-huh. we always love any actor that comes in is so great and we have this long, we have this big <laughs> board in our room of all the actors that we love. Okay. <laughs> and then we were like, oh, who do we need? And, um, yeah. you know, she's supposed, she's the captain of major crimes. So okay. each time she kind of comes in, she has a specific role in the LAPD yeah. and 
you know, and you know, she's she's just a great actress. But um, yeah, it's, it, I think that is the what I what I loved about you know the the books, and I loved about The Wire, and you know, mm-hmm. Tomei, the you know Eric ran before, or you know, yeah. what kind of like that their life is very layered, and there's lots of stories happening in any, any single one day. And sure. it's very rare that you get to just focus on one thing at a time. You're kind of focusing right. on 10 things. <laughs> now, we're not looking well, for any trade secrets or anything, but uh, you guys, how do you how do you literally keep up with all the information and the details? And, uh, you know, we use this character in this scene and then pulling that thread back in. Like, is there a master storyboard or... Who's the keeper of all that? Kind of. I mean, we have two, um, you know, I started as the script coordinator. So one of the, Uh one of my jobs originally was to do a lot of that. Okay. okay. I watched the first, I started in season three. So the, you know, I watched the first two seasons and I kind of made Mm -hmm. this master document about all of the characters and what their storylines and some storylines end. Because they right. either go to prison or <laughs> mm-hmm. or die mm-hmm. or something, and then and then our two awesome assistants this year, um, Osoke and Ben, they they do that now. They're okay. going through like we have we. It's not it, it wouldn't you'd think it's a a science, but sometimes it's you know you're also you know Michael's in our room and Eric's been mm-hmm. on obviously from the beginning and you know so it's, sometimes you're and then new, a lot of the books were written, you know, 10 years ago. So certain things have changed. Right. So we've had yeah. to update them. So, mm-hmm. so as far as storyline, I think in any room, hopefully you're just able to track the story you've, <laughs> we have sometimes we're like, no, that's a book thing. That, that doesn't happen uh-huh. in the yeah. Bosch right. <laughs> series. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but mainly, you know, we try and be pretty specific to current times too so oh, yeah. I wish, I love I the wish there was a way to track I mean just as a writer I wish there was a way to like create a document that just tracked everything mm-hmm. and you could <laughs> follow it all the way through we just yeah. talk about it and search it back and re-watch yeah. episodes no no we said that oh, it's okay <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it sounds very, they, very we're, like I said we're all fans of the book too so it's like yeah and I I do this often where I'll reread the book and I go, oh, that would be so great. Oh, yep. but it doesn't work because we changed that for that or this or, you know. And like, well, you know, so Money funny. Chandler is sort of a different, not in any of the books, but she's, yeah. Well, she, she, she didn't. She didn't. Things didn't turn out quite so well for her yeah. in the book. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, it's funny. I could y'all talking about that. I'm I'm listening to the Concrete Blonde again mm-hmm. at, during my commute right now, and so yeah, yeah. You're talking about Honey Chandler. They're like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's very yeah, it's very good. So also in this episode, I kind of saved this towards the end of our uh, case review discussion. You set up basically the scenario where everything goes is going to go off the rails for Harry's undercover mission, or at least it looks that way at this point right. in the story. Um, Cause he gets that call. They're going to give him a trial run with this, you know, pill mill quid pro quo, you know, let's see what you got. Um, 
he he shows up. Edgar's watching him. Um, they have another Davila, I think, is the officer, uh, maybe from Vice, that's that's also doing some surveillance while this is going on. He goes to the clinic, gets his prescriptions, gets on the van. They go to the first pharmacy, and comes out. And one of the drivers, I think his name's Cleek, uh, is looking over at a car. We know it's Jay Edgar, and you know, just something doesn't seem right. He seems concerned. And Bosch comes out and says, you know, what's is there a problem? You know, and he says, he can kind of tell that he's like scoping someone out. And Harry offers a solution to, to you know, that is cops to try to get rid of them. And, of course, he uses the signal with hold fast and, and says there's been a, an officer involved shooting, I think, um, it, at the corner at hold fast pizza. Yeah. And, um, of course, that's the signal and those something's right. wrong. So they know they've been, you know, they've been made. And, and they get out of there. But this, you know, raises the hackles of, of these pill mill guys, these drivers, and they don't go back to the clinic. Um, they pass the turn to go to the clinic. And Jerry's, you know, fears, he remembers seeing them fly off in that plane before, and he knows that's probably where they're going. And, of course, they are, and he sees the plane fly away. And this is just not what Harry signed up for in this undercover mission. So... Tell me about writing that, I mean, it's suspense, it's, it's fear, it's, oh, my gosh, things are going wrong. How do you, how do you attack that, like that building yeah. Um, emotion? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was fun. That was fun to write. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I, 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 I was, as you're recounting it, I was like, is that in the book? And it's like, there is a version of that in the book, but it, it but the, the idea of the calling the police or uh-huh. you know mm-hmm. calling nine one one that was yeah I I have to give credit that was Michael Connolly um oh, you know, Michael okay. just knows the way uh, police think and he thought that would be very Harry Bosch that he would uh-huh. call it um, yeah I wrote it but uh, Michael's idea is fantastic <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah no it's you know, it's it's an interesting idea because we were trying to decide like, what? Why wouldn't um, Edgar step in? You know, and uh-huh. like if he realized things were going sideways, what would make him um, let Harry go? Because that was something Tim and Nancy mm-hmm. talked a lot about about how do you, you know, would you let your partner? fly away in a plane <laughs> and right, uh, yeah. they were saying no I, I, I wouldn't you know so but mm-hmm. they, we talked about if they had sort of um, come up with a code word or something that okay like mm-hmm. made them feel like I, I'm still on it like I'm just gonna go do this thing and okay you know, and and okay. The, and also just in Edgar's mind he's thinking oh they're gonna go back to the clinic like they're not going to get in a plane and fly away, um, so that was the mm-hmm. you know setting up yeah. the, the, next, that, the next episode. The thing that I it's funny because I was I was rewatching that episode tonight before um, the call and and I think this is the first time I it occurred to me the question occurred to me of you know you had. Harry telling Maddie, you know, he, he was just going to do this undercover thing. They'd be, he'd be home that night mm-hmm. and talk about what they were going to do for Eleanor's birthday and right. and whatnot. And I started to think if if it hadn't gone south at that point, if 
if, um, you know, if the driver hadn't spotted the surveillance and, and, you know, changed plans, I can't figure out what was supposed to happen next if it had gone the way they thought it was going to go. Like they were going to yeah. go back to the clinic and then what? What was right, supposed yeah, to what, happen? I don't know, well, that, there, I, I don't know I that there's think, an answer. You know, yeah. I know you're you're absolutely right. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, I think that off screen we do a lot of things off screen, and um, I think that you know they had followed them several times, and what they would do is go to a couple of pill mills and then come back to the mm-hmm. clinic, and that you know Harry would walk away and get in the car, and he was just going to get intel. I think I heard yeah. Titus talking about this on another podcast where it was like. He thought that it was just going to be Intel, and then, um, you know, it it escalated past where he was, but, you know, Harry being Harry, you know. (laughs) I mean, I think that's what we had in our minds is that in all, you know, Harry's a, he's a, you know, he's a maverick, but he's not reckless. You know, he, right, he thought, right, yeah. and that was what was, that was why um, Michael thought that, you know, he just wanted them to back away for a minute. They'd been spotted. Just give mm-hmm. me 10 minutes to get back to the clinic and then we'll regroup. And then they come back to the clinic and they're not there. Yeah. So, well, yeah. you like, know. Oh, I, now it's gone to the other place. <laughs> well, and yeah. the look on, on Terry's face. Um, oh yeah. On, when they on pass. the plane, it's like, right. Oh, I this is not what yeah. I signed up for. Yeah. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He just he's yeah like you know, I mean I the, the way I everyone has their own interpretation of Harry, um, but like the way I think of him, I think he's not he's not reckless. He's very um, measured. And smart, and I don't yeah. think he thought he was going to end up in a um, desert. <laughs> no, right. No. <laughs> yeah. When he left, yeah. when he told Maddie, "I'll be back," I don't think he thought he was going to go there. <laughs> no, no. He had he had a really good plan for getting on the inside. I think that you know was the ultimate goal was to, to see the view from the inside, where he right. could get the most information, and then yeah, and then things went awry. But before Jerry was doing uh, the surveillance, uh, keeping an eye on on Bosch, he did uh, make a visit to the crime scene uh, where Gary Wise was murdered and uh, checks in with RHD. And they tell him, you know, they're not getting a lot of information or cooperation from the neighborhood. And I, I guess having, it sounds like Jerry grew up in that area. So he's, you know, basically says, let me give a try. And he walks around and he meets uh, someone named Miss Johnson, which I spotted as Andor Gibbs. She's just a great actress. Character okay. loosely named after L. Johnson. Oh, One of our okay. uh, executive Very producers. Cool. Her, her name, the character's name is Ella Johnson, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. L. the writer is L. Johnson. Okay. Who oh, and also named the character Shaz after me, the bartender Shaz. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. So it was my uh, way go. of giving back. Uh, but, uh-huh. but L yeah. is, you know, L the writer and EP and incredible person, dear friend, mentor, she um, 
is kind of that woman in her neighborhood. And she would often talk about it where she's like, she kind of knows a little bit about everything mm-hmm. that's going on. And she's, you know, she, so I, you know, I wrote the character sort of based on that, knowing that maybe mm-hmm. Jerry would know that, you know, and he yeah. sees her down yeah. the way and he goes to talk to her and she has that beautiful garden. She's just like, yeah, she's, oh, yeah. she's mm-hmm. such a great. But then Angela is this incredible actress. Yeah, love her. Okay. I, I think she has has some directing to to her oh, credit. Okay. But I, I have to double check. But um, she's. I know she's Donna, Marla uh, Gibbs. Marla yeah. Gibbs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Her, um, so I, I think that's yeah. that's right. Our, the director well, of this episode knew her. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> very very cool. Um. So yeah, she's that type of character who like you said, knows stuff, but she's not real anxious to offer it up. But he kind of, yeah. you know, works on her and, and, and talks about remembering her mom's holiday bread and uh, makes her feel a little more comfortable and opening up. But you have to wonder, does she know even more than, than she shared? Because she was, did seem hesitant about it. <laughs> but um, I, I, I thought that was a, a really neat scene. Yeah. The way. Um, yeah, I, I, don't I, know. I, I don't know if she knows more. <laughs> yeah, and I think yeah. the other the other thing that t- to me sort of came through in that scene was, um, you know, when Jerry asks her, you know, tells her about you know the holiday bread and whatnot, you realize mm-hmm. that that this isn't just um, work for Jerry. It it feels very personal. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That, that there's, you know, that he has the background and he has sort of an investment and he kind of knows. He knows the culture and the and the sort of the flavor of um, of what's going on and and he, and he does you know he just feels so guilty I think about yeah scary yeah death mm-hmm. I, I love I love that scene I think it's such, I think it's beautifully directed I think it's, I just think I think what ultimately he learns is knowing the people knowing her knowing. Mm-hmm. You know that she says no. He wasn't. He wasn't involved. He was running for his life. Yeah, he was scared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah, like right. that. That that that's the clue. That she, mm-hmm. you know, she had. Maybe he has to pull her out. But ultimately, what she says is, no, no, no. That guy. He he didn't shoot anybody. He was running for his life. Yeah, right. And that that starts <laughs> to flip the the narrative. On its end, you know, it's like, wait, right. maybe we're going down the wrong path here. Yeah, it's it very, it very subtle and, you know, uh, not, you know, terribly dramatic, but you're like, oh, it's a kind of an aha moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, very well, very well played. Okay. So, um, and, and then, of course, out in um, Jimmy's area, Jimmy Robertson, there's a big scare because they're searching this garage slash warehouse, I guess. Uh, where the getaway vehicle had been seen and, and the guys from the composite drawings had, had at least one of them had been seen and they're doing a search in there and one of the officers opens the box and is it is it hypoxia? Is that the reaction? Um, but you can't breathe, basically. Um, and it turns yeah. out there was some fentanyl in there, um, which you know, obviously can be very potent and, and very dangerous. So uh, Jimmy has to act fast. But it's a good reminder that he is a veteran and, you know, he's on it and uh, manages the situation. And thankfully that, that officer survives. But that's another big clue that there's more going on with these 
guys than just the the oxy. Yeah. Uh, so. Story so sad. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because that was a big scare, you know. They it's it was like all you know they're searching and then all of a sudden boom, you know. It, it's very scary to see how fast that affected her. So I was glad that you guys yeah, we, wrote in the. We try and okay. be yeah. Well, we try and be very um, accurate in that and. You know that was um, that was based on a story that happened in Los Angeles, and it's a very oh, wow. uh, it's terrifying for the, the yeah. officers is that they, you know, often just our proximity to um, the ports and other things, and you know, it just it's complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh, Jimmy also buys some drinks for Crate and Barrel. I think they're at Bordner's. <laughs> And uh, he treats them to some drinks, and uh, Daryl is is trying to go ahead and tell Crate that he's going to retire, but he has to wait for Crate to finish his story about the guy not wearing pants. <laughs> pretty funny story, too. <laughs> that was so funny. And, and it reminded me that these guys are storytellers. We've seen them tell stories before. They have a story for everything, and I thought it was a really cool, you know, just nod to their, their personalities. And, you know, it's just kind of like he's just waiting for him to stop talking and go ahead and tell him. And then yeah. then he says he wants a, his chair, uh, I believe, as, as a parting gift, you know. <laughs> and you know how close these guys are, and, and he can't, like, just, you know, he ends up saying something, you know, kind of funny about the chair, but you know it really means more than that, you know. So yeah. um, that was... That was a fun story. So, and I, I, it was just so bizarre the way he told the story. I was trying to think: was he talking about a suspect, uh, I think that's like a police <laughs> encounter? Okay, uh, that's my impression. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah I think story we like from? to start stories in the middle. But yeah, I think those guys uh, come across a lot of characters in the future. Yeah. Uh huh. Sure, they do. So um, we have a, another scene uh, with Tom and Maddie getting coffee, and, and I wanted to pick your brain just a little bit about this. I, I, it stuck out to me that after they encounter Honey Chandler and, you know, she recognizes Maddie and, you know, they chit-chat and then she goes on her way, and then Tom, you know, refers to her by her nickname, Money Chandler, which we've all heard, and, you know, we know that's her nickname. Was there any other reason to put that in there? Because it almost made me wonder if that was like Tom kind of throwing shade at her or almost being prejudicial about the other side. You know, he's in CIU, they're investigating, who knows she's on the other side of things. Um, or was it just a reference to her nickname? I think it's probably both. <laughs> okay. You know, okay. she's, uh, you know, she, you know, where he works, she's uh-huh. the adversary. So yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sure he's, he, he has a lot of, uh, I think he, I love that actor too. He's so great. But, you know, I think he has admiration for her, but, you know, he, you hear about people. It is, it's another workplace conversation, I think. It's kind of fun. Yeah. 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 Okay. What do you think um, about everyone's skepticism uh, in the fandom about Tom? Everyone's just been real quick to not trust him and, is that was there any intention in that, or have you been surprised by that reaction? To be honest, I don't get it because I think he's okay. such a good guy, and he's yeah. just so like 
he's so sweet. He might be a little too sweet for a yeah. bosh, but he's a uh-huh. really good person. <laughs> I think yeah, I really like that actor it. too. He's they were really cute together. They were just they you know, I mean, yeah. he's only she's twenty years, nineteen years old in this episode. Twenty, nineteen, yeah. twenty. Uh-huh. You know, so it's like okay. you know, he's not gonna yeah. be your boyfriend forever. He's just I think I think for me I think the Tom thing I think there's just such a level of awkwardness between them yeah that just <laughs> yeah. it's just sort of um sucks my teeth on edge a little bit it's just like <laughs> it's just like he's he's trying and she's just not like she, she's thinking about it. Like in that scene where she's yeah. like, "Okay, yes, I will go to the party." You know, it's, it's yeah, just, she's made, yeah. It's just I so just, it's so funny awkward. to me because I just look at it so differently. But you know, again, like you, yeah. you write something, you work on it for a year, and you just hope that people <laughs> like it. And I love how invested folks are. <laughs> yeah, because oh, I just think yeah. like I just think they that he's so sweet and you know they're 19 like when I was yeah. 19 I was a mess I was so awkward <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and it's kind of funny oh. to see Bosch deal with that you know and like oh yeah know, yeah how to like deal with his daughter mm-hmm. and you know it's just so sweet I, I just think they're adorable <laughs> well, I'm kind of I, surprised I have no too. idea where they're going but I just yeah. I just think they were so sweet together. <laughs> yeah. I, I was kind of surprised well, some of the Well, I just wanted to know, wanted to know more about the boyfriend in college. Oh. You know, <laughs> Harry says, well, oh, don't you have a boyfriend? It's kind of, well, yeah, a boyfriend, not not a husband. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I love, I was listening, to, I mean, like I said, that. I listened to your podcast and I loved that <laughs> conversation before where I was just like, Oh, it's so cute. Like, I love that you listen to the lines as a writer. That means so much. <laughs> so we, you know, like, you know, she's still coming out. She's still figuring out who she is. You know, she's mm-hmm. gone through a very traumatic, you know, the death of her mother. You know, she's just yeah. like, Dad, back off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Let's not go there right now. Um, yeah, I was yeah. so surprised at some of the backlash because, I, I, if anything, I thought he's trying really hard. He's trying to impress her. But there is that awkwardness, you know, at that age, <laughs> new relationships and, you know, trying, you know, especially in a work setting and stuff like that. But I never And he's investigating really... her dad. <laughs> well, true. Yeah. Right. That too. Yeah, it's so very that, complicated. That does, yeah, that does bring a little bit level of suspicion. But mostly, I was just like, "Oh, it's kind of cute." You know, he's he's trying so hard, and she's just kind of like. Um, <laughs> and I think we're all protective of Maddie too. Yeah, we're like, "Don't totally. you tell her how to use the copier? She's smart. <laughs> she knows." You know, I think there's, there's a bit of that too. I think that's part of it. I hear um, you. Yeah. 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 So we're like, Maddie can handle this, or she doesn't need you to, sh-, you know. But yeah, it's just it is funny <laughs> how people get certain impressions. I love it but, so much. I like, and I just love that actor. He's such a sweetheart. So I think I love. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm such a romantic. I'm, I'm probably the totally wrong person <laughs> to write on a cop show. But. No, 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 no. You, you have more than one writing credit to your name this season, I have noticed. You're doing just fine. Absolutely wonderful. Um, but speaking of fan passions, we do have to just briefly get your way in on uh, the Save the Merce campaign and the Bosch Bash <laughs> campaign. So we ha- we have a writer on the podcast. We got to get a little bit of um, that's so funny. <laughs> the temperature on these. So any, any thoughts I, on on first of all? Reactions? I just love Dewan Johnson that started to save the Merce Bash. <laughs> I thought I I you know. I think that the Merce was given in love from his wife, and now he's uh-huh. grown on. He he doesn't. Okay. He does, like none of the other cops carry their kits all all the way in. Although I have to say it's very practical, so maybe he should bring it back. Yeah. I'm gonna have yeah. to stay neutral on the Merce. <laughs> okay. Well, our, our friend Sharon, I don't I don't know if um if you've ever seen this or heard about this, but. She um, knits these little owls, and she um, knitted one for me that I named um, Irv after Chief Irving. Aww. And she knitted one for Dewan and sent it to him, and it, it was wearing a little Merce. And so she's oh, very passionate that's about That's amazing. She, she kind of started the Save the Merce campaign, and um, he, he, he embraced it as well. And um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot of a lot of passion about that. It could go both ways because I can kind of see how you think maybe you graduated from it in some respects. I, in my but, mind, I have no power in this. But in my mind, I think he carries the mirth in the trunk. And he, like, ah, goes and, like, okay. gets whatever he needs as he goes on to any crime. Much like, you know, Jimmy brings yeah. his crate to sit down. Yeah, like, I yeah. think that... Mm-hmm. I think that um, Pierce has the Merce in the trunk, and he's just he's waiting for the right moment to pull it out when he needs everything okay. from inside. That if, if we could just get a flash of it in season six, I think that would heal a lot of wounds. But um, That's you know, amazing. It, you guys are the experts. But uh, you know, there were some mixed reviews on on a mustache for Bosch maybe in one of the seasons. But we know that Titus is really in favor of, of maybe sporting so awesome. a for a while. <laughs> so, um, you know, we just want to plug I that. Love, but, you know. I love this. I love this so much. It's so funny because I, I knew you were going to ask me this, and my <laughs> father always had a mustache. My husband has okay. a mustache. I, uh-huh. I'm i a big fan of mustaches, but it's very funny is that just me personally, again, nothing mm-hmm. about the character but just me right. personally, I just think Titus has such a great face. Like, he just, he, I, I like him without the mustache. Okay. I love his face. Like, I love all of, okay. I don't know. There's, there's some, but I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think he's, I think Titus is great. I think he can do either, but personally, I like it without. <laughs> okay, okay. Alrighty. I like again. I love that people are invested in it. <laughs> they are yes, yes. It's, it's the the passion is a good thing. We have what we call our interrogation room, and we ask a question of one another. So <laughs> I don't did I don't know if you prepared a question, Anne, but and that's okay if you didn't. We don't have to have more than one. But I did want to ask you, Anne, as a fellow viewer, when Harry does step in and make the call to nine one one. 
did that make you nervous right away for him? Well, I think that whole that whole little scene made me nervous because uh-huh. um, because but then I decided that the driver wasn't really smart enough to figure out that the reason Harry Dominic Riley knew all mm-hmm, this stuff mm-hmm. is because you know he wasn't really Dominic Riley. So I relaxed a little bit there, but um, but the but the driver was so trusting like yeah well okay how how did you know that would work mm-hmm. um yeah you know like mm-hmm. do you ever watch yeah TV? he didn't I mean, you know. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he didn't really catch on quick but me as a viewer it made me so nervous i'm like harry compliant compliant they told you you need to be compliant don't be assertive <laughs> don't you know but i mean he had to he had to let you know jagger know that they've been made but so I understand the purpose, but it, it made me very fearful. So um, I, I was wondering, uh, did you want us to feel afraid, Chaz? Yeah, I think we okay. want okay. everyone to feel anxious. And yeah. Harry is, uh, yeah, he's good at reading people. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. I tell you, I felt more I felt more anxious <clears throat> a, min- a minute or two later when I realized that you know, that this whole plan <clears throat> was going in a completely different direction. And here's, mm-hmm. here's Harry without, he has no phone. He right. has no way to contact anyone. And he's going to, he's going to be on a plane to God knows where. And mm-hmm. then, then I was really, I was really nervous for him. Yeah. It escalated for you. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Since we've had the opportunity to have this, all this insight from Shaz, and we've just we've gone on with her, you know, discussed more about the uh, the episode than, than we normally get to touch on to that degree. So I, I mean, I, we, I don't know that we need to do personal interest um, because we talked about so many interesting characters. Um, and just, yeah, I wanted yeah, the missing. lightning round of like who, which actor, but no, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> okay, we can we can, we can throw that in there. Um, I'm, to I'm totally episodes. joking. <laughs> I just no, always love. I love listening to. Uh, everybody. I love there. listening to the actors talk about each <laughs> yeah. other. That is always yeah, my fun. favorite part. <laughs> I don't. Um, unfortunately, I don't get to be on set as much as I would love. So I, I'm sure I wouldn't be able to a- answer it accurately. But I, it's always one of my yeah, favorite parts. But we could ask you about other actors talk about each other. <laughs> yeah, it is fun. But we could ask you about other writers. We watch this great. We know who these people are. So we could, oh, we could interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I will, um, we talked about a lot of the evidence we uncovered. You know, we see that there, you know, there, the fentanyl was found. So we know there's something bigger going on. We learned that the AC was on at Rosie's house. Um, so someone mm-hmm. is there. We learned that Robson had a previous encounter with Vasquez. Uh, Crate and Barrel uncovered the, the juke stats. We learned that Kathy is Kathy Cronin, that there definitely is a connection with Terry Spencer. We uh, learned some more, considered some hypotheticals about the, the missing photo. And of course, you know, Harry was on the inside there now with the, the pill mill. And we something's going on that maybe it's different than we thought with Bo Jonas. Because if, if, if right. he was running scared, then yeah, then there's, there's right. something different going on there. So yeah, that's definitely right. another thing that that we found out yeah. we learn a little bit more about jay edgar's past he's so great yeah yeah, it is, yeah. such a great actor 
indeed. I do have two trivia questions. I mean, really, anybody can answer. I, I, I guess Shep probably has some, you know, advantage here. But the first one is, what was the name on Miss Johnson's apron? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a, this that is the a question a, you got to bring our props and costumes <laughs> in. <laughs> I can't remember. Okay, it was it was Stoneview Nature Center, which I, oh, I wow. um, Ann and I live on the East Coast, but I did look it up, and it is an actual park in oh, Culver really? City. <laughs> so yeah, who makes those decisions? By the way, is it the props or? It's a, it's a combination. I mean, generally things like that would be probably would be our props and costumes, and often it's like what we can clear. But then we like I'm sure other people have talked about. We try and be really specific to the general areas in mm-hmm. LA. So it's like that character okay. that makes perfect sense okay. that she would have right. an apron. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. But I don't. That wasn't in the script. <laughs> okay. That would okay. be our awesome props in the costume department. <laughs> All right. Well, my other one, um, in the text that Harry receives about a trial run tomorrow, what was the time? One o'clock. Good right. job, Anne. Very good. <laughs> Nailed it. Well, I did nice. just rewatch the episode right before. Yeah. Don't <laughs> so. say that. You just remembered. That's <laughs> great. Give credit. Okay. Well, let's. I think. I think before we go, we should throw a couple of scenarios <laughs> at uh, Shaz here for her uh, fellow writers. Let's um, let's do this one between <laughs> Eric Overmeyer and Tom Bernardo. Um, <laughs> so I might repeat some that I've done with with other folks, but um, but we're, we're switching it up with it being writers. Someone is assigned to bring snacks to the writers' room. It's a late <laughs> night. Snacks are in order. Who would bring the better snacks, Eric Obermeyer or Tom Bernardo? Uh, Tom Bernardo. <laughs> okay. Only because Tom Bernardo is very specific about what he eats, and, he, oh, and so he, it's yeah. often a conversation in our writer's room about <laughs> what he's eating, okay. when, and what he's bringing today. So definitely Tom. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. You're assigned to bring something to a fake sale. A charity event, <laughs> and you've said you're going to do it. You can't if you're sick, you've fallen ill. You will get better, but you can make the cake. Would you choose Van Hine <laughs> or L? Johnson. L. Okay. L is actually an incredible cook. Like she, okay. like L would bring, and if she didn't make it, she would buy it at the best bake store ever. <laughs> And uh, okay, I think Dan has great taste, but I I just think Elle would, you know, like a lot of women, Elle would make sure it, okay. it, it got done. <laughs> okay, okay. Now you can include this last one. You can include yourself if you like. You can you can do one of the choices. The writers' room. You guys want to have team T-shirts. Who would design <laughs> the best team T-shirt for the for the writing team? It can be any of the writers. Mm. Who would you get that job to? Shoot. I, um, you know, what's funny is I would have to say Titus. And even though he's not a writer, oh, Titus uh-huh. designs a t-shirt for us every year. Oh, and really? He okay. already clearly has the skill set. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And Artist. Yeah. Yep. I, I would have to give that to Titus Oliver. 
Okay, good choice. Good choice. Like <laughs> I'm not sure any of the other writers would. Uh, although I worked on Queen Sugar, and Cat Candler uh-huh. always gave shirts that with lines from the season. And oh I yeah, keep mm-hmm. thinking about that. Like that would be a great uh, gift for specific moments in line. So maybe I'll have to okay. bring that um, over to Bosch. But Titus is really good at designing shirts, so I'll have to give it to Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what a great That's idea. A good one. We also do a, a listener spotlight now each episode that we discuss. And so I do a scramble for who is going to be um, the interview that we listen yeah. to at the end of the episode. And the first one, first person to get it correct gets the listener spotlight, and I ask them a question. So um, this week the scramble was for Juliet Landau, and at Hatchman mm-hmm. Brett 63 got it correct, and he happens to be a screenwriter. So I asked him the question, what, uh, as a fan of Bosch and what he sees in Bosch, what does he see as the most effective part of the writing in Bosch? And this is what he had to say. He said, one, the dialogue, not a wasted word or line. Everything that needs to be said is said, and no one waffles on about things that are not important to the script to keep things moving forward mm-hmm. on case. And he says, two, the cast. It's the perfect storm, right down to guest actors. He's in Australia, I believe, because we're a bit behind down here, so I haven't seen season five yet. It airs in a couple of weeks. So I'm just excited for him that he's so close to seeing mm-hmm. a brand new season. Remember that feeling, Anne, when it was, you know, imminent that we were going to get a whole new season, and now we have to wait. So good <laughs> yeah, so awesome. have a whole season. Yeah, I have a whole season to look forward to. So thanks, yeah. Brett, for uh, playing our scramble and for sharing some thoughts on on Bosch. So, all right. I really appreciate you being on with us, Jazz. It was it was an honor and a pleasure <laughs> and just really fascinating. I, I'm, I'm oh, sure thanks Anne so much. I <laughs> hope it was helpful and it was nice to meet Absolutely. you both over the phone. And yeah, thanks for, for sure. all your. Uh, passion for the show it really means a lot when you're oh, yeah. sitting in a room for you know a year trying to think of stories and it's nice to hear people like remember lines and moments that you've been oh yeah well, <laughs> working on guys, for a long time it really means a lot yeah it's very very impactful it's a very compelling series so it, it, well, it brings that out in us Thank I, you. I just I just continue to be in awe literally in <laughs> awe of the work that the writers do in in you know bringing such an iconic figure in just and and doing it so well just so yeah, yeah. realistically mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. with such integrity and truth and um I just think it's awesome what you guys do Seriously, thank you so much, and I will pass on those words and an honor to work on the show because I learned so much about how to be economical and like the word from your Australian uh, buddy is like it's just yeah. really um, it it I've learned I personally like I said I started as a fan and I've learned so much personally about how to um, tell a story with economical words. <laughs> I think I was yeah. a bit more verbo- verbose when I started. <laughs> it's, uh, it's you guys are, are are experts at it now. It's, it's awesome. So, all right, thank you both. We're signing off. Thanks tonight. a lot, everybody. Have a great night, y'all.
Nice you talking too. to you. Thanks, Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Hi, this is Juliet Landau. I play Rita Tedesco on season five of Amazon's Bosch, and this is Everybody Counts Podcast. I'm Tracy with the Everybody Counts Podcast, dedicated to um, all things Bosch, and my co-host uh, Jay is uh, not here with me. He's actually at uh, doing some press for a fan convention. And I realized that you've done quite a few appearances at fan conventions. Uh, what do you What do you make of all that? Do you enjoy those? I have done a few. I do enjoy. It's It's wonderful to interact uh, with people who mm-hmm. love your work. There's there are many worse things than that. It's It's pretty fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Very good. Well, we um, definitely want to get into your role on Bosch. Um, just provided some great twists and just a really com- compelling story. So how did you learn about the role? Were you approached or did you seek out an audition? And what was I, that like? I was, I was approached and um, so excited because mm-hmm. I had seen every episode of seasons one through four in the midst, my husband and I are making a number of projects, but we still, no matter what, um, even though it meant no sleep, we made time <laughs> to watch Bosch. So I was, I was really thrilled um, to get to come and, and, and play. Very cool. Now, did you get all of the storyline for Rita up front, or were there any surprises for you as the scripts came out? I did know that uh, Rita was living this dual life and that, Mm -hmm. you know, living, working as a very capable, exceedingly talented court reporter in Judge Sobel, Mm -hmm. who's uh, played by Beth Armstrong's courtroom for 16 years, Mm -hmm. and then secretly married to Preston Borders, who is on death row for a vicious rape and murder and suspected of more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew that. I, I didn't know how it was going to eventually pan out, but I start I listened to the, the I listened to audiobooks, so I listened to Two Kinds of Truth and and yes. got a sense of where they might be going. And then I oh, actually okay. went back and listened sequentially through all, every single one of the uh, Bosch books. Okay, fantastic. That's very thorough research, <laughs> but but enjoyable because I love the books and the show. So um, that's that's pretty cool. So speaking of that duality for Rita, why why would you say she kept it a secret? Was it solely because it could affect her job, or do you think the secrecy was part of the allure for her? I think it was a, a combo of both. I mean, I definitely think it would affect her livelihood, and that's part of the reason she's so nervous when this mm-hmm. compartmentalized life that she's had is, is being threatened. Um, but I also think that there was a bit of a thrill in having this whole secret side of mm-hmm. her life completely unknown to anybody else. And um, I, I think... I mean, in some ways, I think Rita really felt like an outsider and okay. felt this connection with with Preston as being, mm-hmm. you know, he is truly an outsider, like he's outside the system and outside yeah. the bounds of society. And right. I, I think that she felt like he really sees who she truly is 
and okay. feel that, that sort of connection. Although I also think in some ways she's really trying to be something that she isn't quite as mm-hmm. well. Okay. Okay. And that, that kind of uh, leads into my next question about how you developed a sort of a, did you develop a backstory for Rita? But you, you kind of explained that, but is there more to maybe a backstory you had in mind for her? There, there is actually, I mean, I, I also did a tremendous amount of research in terms of, um, so many different components uh, that I found fascinating mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the role. You know, there's obviously the court stenographer aspect, and I watched a lot of videos, and I my editor has a role who works as a court reporter, so I grilled her a number of times and mm-hmm. uh, found out all kinds of interesting things um, that, that I never knew before. And then mm-hmm. I also did a lot of research on the... Um, women who are married to men on death row. Okay. And there's quite a number of documentaries. Um, there's one, a series called Death Row Dates that I found interesting. Okay. Um, I also wa- read um, the, a, a couple of books. Tammy Menendez wrote about being married mm-hmm. to Eric Menendez. And then there's a book um, that this woman wrote about 12 case studies in Australia of women married to men on death row and married to men who are in prison, um, uh, who may be getting out as well. And um, that was really compelling reading and Mm -hmm. gave me a lot of clues and and some of the stories in there were particularly um, disturbing, really. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you, that, that makes me wonder, do you think Rita, ever had any fear of Preston Borders or did she seem, I mean, she seemed like she felt safe with the idea of, of being married to him, but do you think those kind of thoughts crossed her mind? I do. I think it was, I think it's a mix because there's even in, you know, one of the episodes um, they sort of talk about her a little bit starting to, I mean, I think, you know, it, it's back and forth. I think there's elements mm-hmm. that, you know, she tries so hard to please him and, and yes. the idea of him getting out that there is a, a fear of that as well as a total, you know, uh, um, she's living for it. And yet I think sure. she's frightened by it. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, I'm just, I'm curious uh, if you could tell us a couple of things you found out about court reporters that you didn't know, because I might find it interesting. Well, <laughs> One of the things that's that's interesting is that they have not only access, but they're in charge of the evidence um, that is in the courtroom during the course of the trial. It's it's under their domain to keep keep track of it. And so that, you know, it's funny. um, One of the people on social media, uh, on on Twitter the other day, is a a court reporter asked me, she was like, what do you think Rita's been up to all these years? Like, what other stuff Mm -hmm. is going to come out in season six? Like, what has she been doing? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it was, I never knew that. I didn't, you know, and. No, no. And she also described. Yeah. And she also um, described it as having, what is it, what did she say? The front, front row to the circus of life which I thought was also a great sentence. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they are the, the, the person who is responsible for the historical record. Like they are the only ones there that, is, that are, are recording what's going on. And so there actually is quite a bit of okay. you know, pressure to, to do it and to do it well. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. 
Wow. Well, let's talk a little bit about Ryan Hurst. He's uh, mm-hmm. very, very tall, <laughs> large guy, <laughs> and and you are this tiny spelt ballerina. <laughs> did that? How did that um, facilitate your um, performance? Like, did did you use that as like he's this menacing, big, giant guy? Well, it was funny <laughs> because on that set, uh, Chris uh, Browning is also like six five. And then um, John Lindstrom is 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 close to that, if not okay. the same height. And so okay. is a, there's an, uh, another actor. I was like, oh my god, what what is what's going on? Everybody's <laughs> huge, and I'm used yeah. to, I'm fairly tall, I'm five seven. I'm Houston. I'm like, oh my god, this is crazy. And when Ryan <laughs> and I were shooting our first sequence, I was like, oh my my goodness, my eye line, which is where you're looking, you know, up it, sure. in the scene or not up generally, was so far up. It was it was crazy. Nice. But yeah, it definitely added to his you know his ability to be pestering and menacing and you know and, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff and and it was it's so much fun to work with Ryan I I know Ryan from prior and he's just such a pussycat and sweetheart so okay. it was really fun to to you know act the opposite with one another yeah 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 very cool well you know your character played such a pivotal role in how things played out this season did you feel any pressure about that or did it make it more exciting or some of both you know i was so engaged in in the 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 work itself and the storytelling and being immersed in this intriguing multifaceted character that i mm-hmm. didn't really have time or energy so much to think uh, about that stuff. I was always thinking about, you know, kind of like more invention. Like, you know, I I decided um, I wore my wedding ring on a chain so that it's always hidden when I'm, you know, but I bring it out when I go to visit my husband Mm -hmm. and I only show him. And I actually had this, I made a letter uh, that he'd written me that I carried around in every scene. It's like oh. in my purse or it's on my being. And, uh-huh. and I actually like uh, drew pictures on it because uh-huh. of prison, they have time and they write these love letters and they draw these images because they have time to woo sure. in that way. And uh-huh. so, uh, so when I'm clutching my bag, there's a reason, you know, so it was just, it, it was sort okay. of infinitely interesting yeah. to me. So I sort of just got invested in, in all of that. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. It sounds like you're very much immersed in, in, in the role. That's fascinating. Well, did you know any other actors prior? Um, you said you knew Ryan um, and you obviously knew the show. Did you, had you worked with anyone else before? I know um, Avery Clyde, uh, and I actually have known each other uh, from um, the theater scene in Los Angeles. We okay. never worked together, but we've known each other. And I had worked with, she's a member of a theater company that Sam Anderson uh, is the artistic director. And Sam and I worked on Angel together. Um, uh-huh. So I, I knew Avery, and then I knew some of the crew as well so that was fun um it's always fun to to come and work with yeah friends so that's always amazing can i just say one other thing that was so for me like i didn't know 
um, Titus ahead of time, and I didn't okay. know uh, a number of the people, but they, I feel like they are such incredible and gracious and wonderful yeah. and amazing people that I, I feel like I've made lifelong friends. Oh, that's wonderful. And I, I see you've built yeah. up quite a friendship with um, Tim Lunabus. Um, yes. I guess you guys were in that one scene together, but it, it's just amazing the the really great friendships that can form, you know, through your work. So I, I've never heard anything bad about about that well, cast. So it's it yeah. it is just an, an unbelievable, unbelievably talented, incredible group of people, and you know it's how it's how it should be, you know. Yeah. And uh, and yeah. And, yeah. Well, that, and by the way, a, I love the great report. I love the name of your podcast because uh, everybody counts or nobody counts. That's right. Exactly. We we definitely wanted to honor that and get different people's opinions and, and show that everybody's opinion counts counts as well. So, well, we always, um, I don't know if you've heard, but we always finish off our interviews with a fun game. We kind of just call it the game of who because um, mm-hmm. we give you a couple of choices of people and then just some silly scenarios and you can pick who you think would be uh, better in that scenario. So could be better in it. Well, yeah, our game is just a little silly game. So you're going to choose between Ryan Hurst okay. and, and Chris Browning, the the gentlemen themselves, not their characters that they play. Just okay. you guys. Um, so we know you are uh, proficient in ballet. So if you had to teach <laughs> them ballet, who would be the better student? Ryan or Chris? I think Ryan. Okay. Okay. Any particular reason or just a gut feeling? Ryan actually has a super gentle side. I think he would uh-huh. he'd be he'd be able to learn it and be and be even with his massive size he would be he'd uh-huh. be able to be sort of delicate. Okay. Moving. Okay. Okay, well, the next scenario, you're having a party and you need to assign someone to make a playlist for the music. So who would you select to make that playlist, Ryan or Chris? I think Chris. I think Chris, you know, even on the show, he sort of played a, a rocker, right? Like that back True. in the day, yeah. although he, I don't know if he was supposed to be the best rocker in the world. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, so so I think he'd make a good playlist because he'd, he'd, he'd put something fun together. Okay, very cool. Well, you know more than a little about playing a vampire. So if you were casting a show and needed to cast a vampire, who would you select, Ryan or Chris? Ooh, can I can vampire. I cast them both? Um, <laughs> sure, think, there's no, no rules. I've, you can do whatever you want. There's <laughs> no rules. Yeah, let's cast them both as vampires. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I like that. Very cool. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Well, you were very generous with your time and all the interest. I hope you have a great evening, and thank you so much. You as well. Have a great weekend. Okay. Bye, Juliet. Okay. Take you both. Bye.